0: Good evening, and welcome to the Sleep with Josh podcast. It's the podcast where you sleep uh, with Josh. I am comedian Josh Yang, and every episode I read various pieces of literature in my trademark monotone voice to help you drift off to sleep, literature like the dictionary, laws, various manuals, the different terms of services that everyone agrees to but never really reads, and other random, boring ideas. This week, we return to the intriguing world of soap making. I will be continuing to read from a soap-making manual from 1922. If you find yourself enjoying this experience, please follow this podcast on your podcast platform of choice and tell everyone you know that you sleep with Josh. Because at the end of the day, the more people that sleep, with Josh the Better. Feel free to also follow me on social media at Josh Yang Comedy. Now sit back and close your eyes because you'll get tired of this podcast guaranteed. Soap Making Manual A Practical Handbook On the Raw Materials Their Manipulation Analysis And Control In the Modern Soap Plant By E.G. Thompson Ph.D. Continuation of Chapter 1. Raw Materials Used in Soap-Making Rancidity of Oils and Fats Rancidity in neutral oils and fats is one of the problems the soap manufacturer has to contend with. The mere saying that an oil is rancid is no indication of its being high in free acid. The two terms rancidity and acidity are usually allied. Formerly, the acidity of a fat was looked upon as the direct measure of its rancidity. This idea is still prevalent in practice and cannot be too often stated as incorrect. Fats and oils may be acid or rancid or acid and rancid. In an acid fat, there has been a hydrolysis of the fat, and it has developed a rather high percentage of free acid. A rancid fat is one in which have been developed compounds of an odoriferous nature. An acid and rancid fat is one in which both free acid and organic compounds of the well known disagreeable odors have been produced. Moisture, air, light, enzymes in brackets, organized ferments in bracket and bacteria are all given as causes of rancidity. It seems very probable that the initial splitting of the fats is caused by enzymes which are present in the seeds and fruits of the vegetable oils and tissue of animal fats in the presence of moisture. Lukowicz strongly emphasizes this point and he is substantiated in his idea by other authorities. Others hold that bacteria or microorganisms are the cause of this hydrolysis, citing the fact that they have isolated various microorganisms from various fats and oils the acceptance of the bacterial action would explain the various methods of preservation of oils and fats by the use of antiseptic preparations it cannot however accepted as a certainty that bacteria cause the rancidity of fats. The action of enzymes is a more probable explanation. The hydrolysis of fats and oils is accelerated when they are allowed to remain for some time in the presence of organic non-fats. Thus, palm oil, lower grades of olive oil, and tallow, which has been in contact with the animal tissue for a long time, all contain other nitrogenous matter and exhibit a larger percentage of free fatty acid than the oils and fats not containing such impurities. Granting this initial splitting of the fat into free fatty acids and glycerin, this is not a sufficient explanation. The products thus formed must be acted upon by air and light. It is by the action of these agents that there is a further action upon the products and from this oxidation we ascertain by taste and smell in brackets chemical means are still unable to define rancidity in brackets whether or not a fat is rancid side note i feel like since this was written in 1922 Well, I would imagine the origins of rancidity have been discovered, so take those claims with a grain of salt. Okay, back at it. While some authorities have presumed to isolate some of these products causing rancidity, we can only assume the presence of the various possible compounds produced by the action of air and light which include oxy fatty acids lactones alcohols esters aldehydes and other products the soap manufacturer is interested in rancidity to the extent of the effect upon the finished soap rancid fats form darker soaps than fats in the neutral state and very often carry with them the disagreeable odor of a rancid oil further a rancid oil or fat is usually high in free acid it is by no means true however that rancidity is a measure for acidity. For as has already been pointed out, an oil may be rancid and not high in free acid. The percentage of free fatty acid is of even greater importance in the soap industry. The amount of glycerin yield is dependent upon the percentage A free fatty acid, and is one of the criterions of a good fat or oil for soap stock. Prevention of Rancidity Since moisture, air, light, and enzymes produced by the presence of organic impurities are necessary for the rancidity of a fat or oil, The methods of preventing rancidity are given. Complete dryness, complete purification of fats and oils, and storage without access of air or light are desirable. Simple as these means may seem, they can only be approximated in practice. The most difficult problem is the removal of the last trace of moisture. Impurities may be lessened very often by the use of greater care. In storing, it is well to store in closed barrels or closed iron tanks away from light, as it has been observed that oils and fats in closed receptacles become rancid less rapidly than those in open ones even though this method of storing is only partially attained. Preservatives are also used but only in edible products where their effectiveness is an open question. Chemical constants of oils and fats. Besides the various physical properties of oils and fats, such as color, specific gravity, melting point, solubility, etc., they may be distinguished chemically by a number of chemical constants. These are the iodine number, the acetyl number, saponification number, right chart. Maisel number, probably butcher that, for volatile acids, Hainer number, for insoluble acids, these constants, while they vary somewhat with any particular oil or fat, are more applicable to the edible products, and are criterion's Where any adulteration of fat or oil is suspected. The methods of carrying out the analysis, the analyses of oils and fats to obtain these constants are given in the various texts on oils and fats. And inasmuch as they are not of great importance to the soap industry. They are merely mentioned here. Oil Hardening or Hydrogenating. It is very well known that oils and fats vary in consistency and hardness, depending upon the glycerides forming same. Olane A combination of oleic acid and glycerin, as well as oleic acid itself, largely forms the liquid portion of oils and fats. Oleic acid is an unsaturated acid and differs from steric acid, the acid forming the hard, firm portion of oils and fats. By containing two atoms of hydrogen less in the molecule, theoretically, it should be a simple matter to introduce two atoms of hydrogen into oleic acid, or olein, and by this mere addition, convert liquid oleic acid and olein into solid steric acid and sterine. For years, this was attempted, and all attempts to apply the well known methods of reduction, in brackets, addition of hydrogen, brackets, in organic chemistry, such as treatment with tin and acid, sodium amalgam, amalgam, etc were unsuccessful in recent years however as in in recent years from the 1920s it has been discovered that in the presence of a catalyzer nickel in finely divided form or the oxides of nickel are usually employed the process of hydrogenating an oil Is readily attained upon a practical basis. The introduction of hardened oils has opened a new source of raw material for the soap manufacturer, in that it is now possible to use oils in soap making, which were formerly discarded because of their undesirable odors. Thus, fish or train oils, which had up to the time of oil hydrogenating, resisted all attempts of being permanently deodorized, can now be employed very satisfactorily for soap manufacture. A Japanese chemist, Sujimoto, has shown that fish oils contain an unsaturated acid of the composition 18 parts carbon, 28 parts hydrogen, 2 parts oxygen, for which he proposed the name clupanonic, clupanodonic, clupanodonic acid. By the catalytic hardening of train oils, this acid passes to steric acid, and the problem of deodorizing these oils is solved. At first, the introduction of hardened oils for soap manufacture met with numerous objections due to the continual failures of obtaining a satisfactory product by the use of the same. Various attempts have now shown that these oils particularly hardened train oils, produce extraordinarily useful materials for soap making. These replace expensive tallow and other high melting oils. It is of course impossible to employ hardened oils alone, as a soap so hard would thus be obtained that it would be difficultly soluble in water and possess very little lathering quality. By the addition of 20-25% to 25% of tallow oil or some other oil forming a soft soap, a very suitable soap for household use, may be obtained. Rebought discusses this matter fully. Hardened oils readily saponify, may be perfumed without any objections, and do not impart any fishy odor to an article washed with same. Meyerheim states that through the use of hydrogenated oils, the hardness of soap is extraordinarily raised so that soap Made from hardened cottonseed oil is 12 times as hard as the soap made from ordinary cottonseed oil. This soap is also said to no longer spot yellow upon aging, and as a consequence of its hardness, is able to contain a considerably higher content of rosin through which lathering power and odor may be improved. Hardened oils can easily be used for toilet soap bases, provided they are not added in too great a percentage. The use of hardened oils is not yet general, but there is little doubt that the introduction of this process goes a long way towards solving the problem of cheaper soap material for the soap making industry. Grease Grease varies so greatly in composition and consistency that it can hardly be classed as a distinctive oil or fat. It is obtained from refuse bones, hides, etc. And while it contains the same constituents as tallow, the olein content is considerably greater, which causes it to be more liquid in composition. Grease differs in color from an off-white to a dark brown. The better qualities are employed in the manufacture of laundry and chip soap while the poorer qualities are only fit for the cheapest of soaps used in scrubbing floors and such purposes. There is usually found in grease a considerable amount of gluey matter, lime and water. The percentage of free fatty acid is generally high. The darker grades of grease are bleached before being used. This is done by adding a small quantity of sodium nitrate to the melted grease and agitating, then removing the excess sulpeter by decomposing with sulfuric acid. A better method of refining, however, is by distillation the chrome bleach is also applicable rosin in brackets colophony yellow rosin resina and brackets rosin is the residue which remains after the distillation of turpentine from the various species of pines the chief source of supply is in the states of Georgia, North and South Carolina. It is a transparent, amber-colored, hard, pulverized resin. The better grades are light in color and known as water white and window glass. These are obtained from a tree, which has been tapped for the first year as the same trees are tapped from year to year. The product becomes deeper and darker in color until it becomes almost black. The constituents of rosin are chiefly 80-90% to 90% albietic acid or it's anhydride together with pinic and sylvic acids. Its specific gravity is 1.07 to 1.08 melting point about 152.5 degrees Celsius, and it is soluble in alcohol, ether, benzene, carbon disulfide, oils, alkalis, and acidic acid. The main use of rosin outside of the production of varnishes is in the production of laundry soap. Although a slight percentage acts as a binder and fixative for perfumes in toilet soaps and adds to their detergent properties since it is mainly composed of acids it readily unites with alkaline carbonates though the saponification is not quite complete, and the last portion must be completed through the use of caustic hydrates, unless an excess of 10% carbonate over the theoretical amount is used. A lie of 20 degrees B? Not too sure what that stands for. Is best adapted to the saponification of rosin when caustic hydrates are employed for this purpose, since weak lies cause frothing. While it is sometimes considered that rosin is an adulterant for soap, this is hardly justifiable as it adds to the cleansing properties of soap. Soaps containing rosin are of the well-known yellowish color common to ordinary laundry soaps. The price of rosin has so risen in the last few years that it presents a problem of cost to the soap manufacturer considering the price at which laundry soaps are sold. Rosin saponification. As has been stated, rosin may be saponified by the use of alkaline carbonates. On account of the possibility of the soap frothing over, the kettle in which the operation takes place should be set flush with the floor, which ought to be constructed of cement. The kettle itself is an open one with round bottom, equipped with an open steam coil and skimmer pipe, and the open portion is protected by a semicircular rail. A powerful grid, having a three inch mesh, covers one half of the kettle, the sharp edges protruding upwards. The staves from the rosin casks are removed at the edge of the kettle. The rosin placed on the grid and beaten through with a hammer to break it up into small pieces. To saponify a ton of rosin, there are required 200 pounds soda ash. 1,600 pounds water, and 100 pounds salt. Half the water is run into the kettle, boiled, and then the soda ash and half the salt added. The rosin is now added through the grid, and the mixture thoroughly boiled. As carbon dioxide is evolved by the reaction, The boiling is continued for one hour to remove any excess of this gas. A portion of the salt is gradually added to grain the soap well and to keep the mass in such condition as to favor the evolution of gas. The remainder of the water is added to close the soap and boiling continued for one or two hours longer. At this point, the kettle must be carefully watched or it will boil over through the further escape of carbon dioxide being hindered. The mass, being in a frothy condition, will rapidly settle by controlling the flow of steam. The remaining salt is then scattered in and the soap allowed to settle for two hours or longer. The lyes are then drained off the top. If the rosin soap is required for toilet soaps, it is grained for a second time. The soap is now boiled with the water caused by the condensation of the steam, which changes it to a half-grained soap Suitable for pumping. A soap thus made contains free soda ash, 0.15% or less, free rosin about 15%. The mass is then pumped to the kettle containing the soap to which it is to be added at the proper stage. The time consumed in thus saponifying rosin. Is about five hours. And that is where we're going to end this episode of the Sleep with Josh podcast. Congratulations, you've just slept with Josh. And if you're not currently asleep, don't forget to follow this podcast and give us a review on whether or not you liked to sleep with Josh. Thank you, and good night.